0: I've always liked Jamie Oliver and partly because I love cooking his recipes actually, but more than that, because he's always struck me as actually being rather just like his food. Simple, straightforward and fun. He's just a big kid in the kitchen when you watch him and it's very attractive. But uh, this last year a new Jamie Oliver has appeared he has become an earnest, deadly serious political campaigner. The television series, Jamie's School Dinners, was not just another um, happy story of the boy from Saffron Walden going down the market and cooking up meals for his mates. There was an edge to him, a seriousness about him, which actually took him to uh, Whitehall and may yet stimulate a sea change in what we feed to our children. What changed young Jamie? Well, no doubt there were a thousand things uh, along the way, but one thing, one statistic he is um, uh, keen to quote again and again. He says that in the deprived parts of Greenwich, where he filmed uh, the, the series, Jamie's School Dinners, the children, on average, are predicted to die before their parents. Sometimes it does take a bit of a shock to bring us to our senses. Now this last year Jamie, Jamie Oliver's transformation in one sense has been a great encourage, encouragement to me because frankly um, uh, Jamie is just like thousands of people in Oxford, millions of people in, in this country getting on with life, having a laugh, enjoying themselves. And um, of course Jamie Oliver in many ways is still the same. But now you see in that young man a deeper purpose to his life, a bigger vision. He has changed. And if Jamie Oliver can be changed, then I dare to think that actually our nation can be changed. Frankly though, the quality of school dinners is not the key issue in Britain as a whole. My belief that, that, that our society actually is facing a slowly developing crisis um, uh, far, far deeper than the crisis in our nutrition. It shows itself in, in, in disruption in schools, in antisocial behaviour in the streets, it shows itself in the inexorable rising levels of uh, teenage pregnancy and of se- sexually transmitted infections, it shows itself in the rising gap that there is in this country between rich and poor. It shows itself in the enormous health inequalities there are now between different uh, communities. Uh, One recent report suggested it is as bad as it's ever been since the Victorian era. And let's be honest that the solution does not lie with ASBOs and cleaner hospitals and giving more power to head teachers and better sex education and and uh, uh or, or even their better school meals, those are details. The politicians may worry about those things and talk about those things and run their general election campaigns on those things, because those are the only things that they really can see, but those who've read their Bibles can see something deeper. The Problems are far more deep rooted than that. They lie in our soul. As uh, Jamie Oliver's found, I think, with his school dinners, it's not going to be easy to reverse um, the trend. Not least because we have this uh, uh, naive view that um, uh, we will always instinctively choose what is best for us spiritually. Don't you hear that all the time? I pick and choose what I believe people say. The children who pick and choose what they believe choose burgers, chips and coke and become addicted to it for the, for the rest of life. their lives. Why should, uh, why should our spiritual habits of choice be any different? Actually Jamie Oliver hit the nail on the head. He was talking about um, uh, the tough task of getting children to eat proper school dinners. He said, if you're a teacher and you're te- taking a class of kids for English literature, you don't let them read comics just because that's what they like, do you? The same with school food. I mean, we're meant to be educating kids, aren't we? In my book, that process should not stop during the lunch hour. So although these kids want the Beano, we're giving them Shakespeare, he says. Uh, the risk of sounding like some fierce matron or even worse, Jamie Oliver, uh, 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 let me say the same. We need for our souls and for the souls of people that we rub shoulders with a healthy diet if we are to grow strong so, I'm convinced that this prophecy of Amos is part of God's word for us today, God's healthy diet to us. And um, uh, I, I have to say, it is not sugary sweet. But then we know we don't need all sugary sweet things, don't we? Amos uh um, is scathing in this prophecy. He warns again and again of God's judgment. But this message brings health. Actually, as Britain moves further and further away from its uh, Christi- Christian heritage, the the uh, evidence that Christian truth really does bring health becomes more and more overwhelming. Just this week, for instance, there was a major piece of research published showing that... Um, Teenage boys attending uh, private evangelical church schools are, I quote from the church times, um, happier, more socially concerned and demonstrate higher levels of personal morality than their peers. They had lower levels of, of, of um, uh, suicide or, or even suicidal thoughts. They had a much stronger sense of uh, positiveness about the future. They were different boys. Now, we've not got yet to the point where our nation, I think, is quite ready, at least en masse, to recognise that crisis that is coming. Actually, already the politicians are recognising it. They are increasingly asking evangelical Christians to to be more involved in society, to they recognise that they run excellent new city academies. It's not automatic that a city academy will be good, as we've seen this week. But overwhelmingly, the Christian ones have uh, had uh, enormously good results. The politicians are recognising that, uh, um, that that Christians can deliver excellent community services and are asking local councils to involve faith groups. I uh, spoke to someone just just, uh, a couple of days ago who works with a uh, care in the community team. She said, I have to confess, it's a misnomer. She said, there is no community. I talk to people and I say, what about, do you know the next door neighbour? They don't know them. She told me, she's not a Christian, she told me, uh, And uh, she is involved with mental health. She said, uh, but you know, there's overwhelming evidence that actually being involved in a faith community, in a Christian community in particular, is massively health-giving. Now, there there is a a blizzard of propaganda against evangelical Christians. Um, Just as we will see, in fact, there was enormous opposition against... uh, Uh, against Amos. But one day I am absolutely confident we are going to see that that propaganda is as self-serving and destructive as tobacco uh, advertising or McDonald's uh, I'm loving it campaigns. We can help our world see that if we really understand the full dimension of what God's Word says. And then if we really live it. I want to give you three reasons then, this morning, just briefly, why I am convinced that this book of Amos is a, is a life-giving message for us today that can bring life to us and life to those with whom we have contact. Three reasons why Amos is for us. The first of those is this. Amos is like us. He himself. Verse 1, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, Jeroboam the son of Joash was king of Israel. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. He was a shepherd. The word used actually is not quite the normal one for an ordinary, uh, humble, lowly shepherd on the hillsides. More probably he was a sheep breeder or a sheep dealer. Not quite a country bumpkin then. But an ordinary man, he was not a professional theologian. He was not educated in the schools of the prophets. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't have automatic access to the elite in Israel. He grew up in the countryside in a little village. Tekoa was just a minor village uh, a number of miles outside Jerusalem. Now, of course, God does sometimes use people with uh, fine theological educations and contacts in the highest echelons of society. And the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament is just such uh, a prophet whom God massively used. But God has a habit of using ordinary people. Jesus chose 12 rural northerners as his apostles to change the world. There's often actually a real advantage in being an outsider in our society. Amos um, um, sees the vanity and injustice of the uh, um, uh, the lives of the city people with with great clarity, no doubt we can imagine this this shepherd getting shocked when he comes in, in, into the city and sees the wealth um, uh, of the people and the way that they are abusing their power he 's not trained to overlook that as someone brought up within the city may have been he 's not uh, thinking only in the ruts carved out uh, by a thousand uh, theologians before him. He can think freshly. The key thing uh, about Amos though is that he knew God. This is what the Lord says. He says again and again and again. Of course there aren't prophets quite like Amos any longer. The Bible is complete. But you and I can know the mind of God as we study his word. You and I as ordinary people can allow God actually to shape our minds and our understanding so that we see our society with fresh eyes. You and I can make a difference in this world. I'm more and more convinced that um, We need Amoses in our society. Actually, it's my my belief that God in his providence has given us as a church here precisely that that role, that position. We're in one of the best educated cities in the world, for instance, and we have well-educated people amongst us, but not, not all of us. We can stand on the edge of that and critique it in one sense, we, uh, uh, we're in a city which, is, which has lots and lots of wealthy people and we have a few wealthy people amongst us but not all of us. We can stand on the edge of that aspect of society and critique it. Neither are we universally poor. It is so easy for any church, in fact, to become so embedded and enmeshed in its particular culture. It has no ability to stand aside and have a perspective in which God can really speak through that church. And I think because of our mixedness here, we really do have that opportunity. If you feel like just an ordinary Christian then, someone who can have no influence, be encouraged. God uses ordinary people. God uses people who are a bit on the outside for his glory. Amos uh, even um, was brought up in the southern kingdom. Tekoa is near Jerusalem as I said but his message will be to the northern kingdom. They nominate, they shared the same faith, the same language, but they had by this time become separated. He goes and speaks again as a powerful outsider. Maybe you're a bit displaced. That's where God can use you. Amos is like us. Amos's world as well is remarkably like ours. The introduction tells us that Amos prophesied while Uzziah was king in Jerusalem and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, um, we call him Jeroboam II often, was king in the northern kingdom of Israel. The two kingdoms were um, had become divided and had separate uh, kings And there was uh, often some degree of tension between them. But not in this era. There was peace between them. And peace as well beyond their borders. The great superpower of Assyria was not threatening them as it would do uh, uh, just a few decades later. Little local powers that at times fought against Israel were were neutralised as well. Edom and Moab and Philistia and Aram were all weak at that time. So, in uh, uh, northern Israel and southern Judah, the cities were expanding massively. Merchants were becoming fabulously rich. Everything actually seemed pretty good. At this point, Israel had an enormous army to defend itself. Just like um, lots of aspects of our world today. We may feel a little threatened by terrorists, but uh, frankly it's nearly four years now since September the 11th, 2001. And there is plenty of wealth around. But all was not well in Israel. The rapid rise in the wealth of the merchant classes was actually leading to great injustice and poverty amongst others. The relative ease of the city life had led to lifestyles of vanity and pride and sexual immorality. They continued to be religious but their religion was just an outward form. They were not really committed to following God. They developed a naive and arrogant confidence that surely God was just a kitten who loved them and would continue to make everything wonderful. you analyse uh, uh, the news and look at uh, uh, the trends that are going on in our society, I think you'll agree there are real similarities. The third uh, reason why Amos uh, is a health-giving book follows very unnaturally from this. The message of Amos is actually a vital message for us. Amos is going to say, God is no kitten. God is a lion. Verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion, thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up. The top of Carmel withers. Amos' God roars against Massive international injustice. His God roars against the abuse of wealth and power and against those who, as he says, trample on the poor. God roars against the sexual uh, uh, chaos that there was in, in the world. God roars against moral complacency. And most of all, he roars against people who claim to be following him, but actually are no different from the world around The prophet Hosea, who prophesied at about the same time as Amos, focused on their idolatry and their worship of other gods. But Amos focuses elsewhere. Amos focuses on the injustices there were in his world. Amos is going to teach us to see and to understand what is really going on in our society and what God thinks not just in the wider world but actually again and again he will bring it home to us our attitudes our lifestyle There are three reasons why Amos as we look at him over the next couple of months is very much uh, has, has a message for us. He is like us, his world is like ours and he has something characteristic and powerful to say to our world. What are we going to learn? Well, let me just suggest a couple of things. Firstly, firstly, I hope we are going to learn to think and speak like Amos. I hope we're going to have our eyes opened so that we can see what is really going on in our world and can speak out about it faithfully. Now, let's be clear, that will be costly. That will be difficult. Amos uh, aroused great hatred in his day. But we cannot ignore it. Actually, more important than that, though, I hope we are going to learn to live as Amos calls us to live. Because although he is quite prepared to criticise nations to the ends of the earth, whether they acknowledge God or not, the focus of his criticism is on people who say they are following God. He knows that the, nations of, the nation of Israel has betrayed God and in a sense betrayed the nations around because they have not lived as God called them to live. I am increasingly convinced that actually the most important thing our nation needs is communities of believers who are living in a different way in a countercultural way in a way that really displays the glory of God i am um, had an interesting experience a couple of years ago. in our children's holiday club. we had signed up to attend the holiday club. Um, four of the five most um, severe. Uh, severely, the, the, the children with the most severe behavioral problems in St. Christopher's School. As chair of governors, I had had to sit through um, uh, many a, a meeting just uh, hearing about how the school was struggling to cope with them and the resources that were um, necessary to cope with those children. And the head teacher said to me, She said, you've got the trouble ahead, haven't you? They were wonderful. I don't think any of the volunteers would have had any clear conception of how difficult these children could be at times. It was a controlled environment. And we were careful to control it. when the head teacher heard how well they behaved she was amazed do not underestimate the quality of a community that is living for Christ such communities can make a difference in a way that the outside world really does see So, as we go through this this prophecy of Amos, you see, I I want us to be tender-hearted enough to be able to say, is that me? Is that criticism for me? Could it be something that I need to change? Could there be an attitude in my heart that I need to reform? Because we live in a world that is slowly, quietly, by increments, building up for itself an increasing social crisis. Have no doubt about it. And it's only real hope will burn. If that world can see communities of people who are different, and finally give glory to God. Let me uh, say one final thing though. Sometimes, frankly, it does take a crisis. Did you uh, notice that uh, phrase when he's describing uh, when Amos was uh, prophesying? It was two years before the earthquake. Editors uh, who who wrote this little two-verse introduction assumes that everybody will know what the earthquake was. Just calls it that. The prophet Zechariah actually, 200 years later, refers to this earthquake as something that is very much still alive in Israel's memory. In the same way that we talk about the war and we mean the Second World War when there have been lots of wars before or since. This earthquake shook the nation. Amos was prophesying before the earthquake. We know that virtually no one listened to him. But maybe our editor is... um, alerting us to the fact that Amos who warned that the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem suddenly was listened to a little bit more when this catastrophe happened. Sadly we know there wasn't uh, still then a mass repentance of the nation of Israel. It was finally destroyed completely. By God. But maybe there was enough sense at that moment that Amos had been speaking the truth, that people said we must preserve this word as a word from God. He has authenticated it in this crisis. The truth is, you see, that as God's church speaks clearly about God's judgement against evil, By and large, people will not listen. Now, let's make it more personal. By and large, actually, often we as Christians don't really engage with it. Until something really catches us when we're prepared to listen. For Jamie Oliver, it was that statistic, wasn't it? That those youngsters in Greenwich were likely to die before their own parents. No, um, God sometimes really needs to shake our hearts. I wouldn't wish a crisis on anyone here. But I would ask you to recognise how hard it is for our hearts to respond to uncomfortable messages. And I wouldn't wish a crisis on the wider world either. But I would say from my personal experience that it's often when our life is turned upside down that they finally can hear that message. Let's be in no doubt about it as well. There is an increasing number of people out there whose lives are being turned upside down. That's a terrible thing, but sometimes terrible things like earthquakes can make us hear. So, be prepared. To listen to the message of Amos. Ask God to soften your heart and make you ready to respond. I've been deeply encouraged how we as a church have responded to the series on prayer. Let's make sure that God speaks to us still in this uncomfortable message.